It should, should have outlines coming around if you want an outline. Everything will be on the board or actually the wall. Um, and I'm supposed to announce that volleyball and spike ball tournaments will start at 12.30 on the beach today. Alright, so if that's you, be there or don't. Alright, so here we are on day two. Thank you for coming back because now you really know what you've gotten yourself into. And so you had a chance to run away and you didn't. And so I appreciate it. Um, so yesterday we talked about the purpose that we were created. We talked about um, living for God's glory, living within the boundaries of, of our design, which was to live a selfless life to exalt the Lord. And then sin entered into the world uh, through Adam and Eve's decision to be selfish, uh, even though they were abundantly blessed. And now we struggle with not trying to make ourselves the center of everything. right? Cause, so that's where we were kind of at yesterday. We spoke a little bit about the pervasiveness of selfishness. Today we're going to just hammer selfishness so you're sick of it. And at the end, what I really hope is you'll see that selfishness comes in all kinds of different forms. It looks um, way different across the spectrum. And uh, hopefully that will help you assess your own sins, your own heart. Uh, that's my goal anyways. And so that, that the Lord can expose that sin. You can confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. Right? So, we ended yesterday, we were talking a little bit about our, our purpose. And so I want to pick up there today, kind of leading into this discussion on selfishness. Um, because when we live, when we live uh, out our intended purpose, when we fulfill what we were created to do, it brings abundant life. But the opposite happens when we, when we live in a way that is, is not the way that God designed us. Okay, that brings death. I'm going to give you some examples of, of what happens when you take something that was intended for use in one way and you use it a different way. All right? And I think the easiest example, since we just had the 4th of July, are fireworks. All right? And I'm going somewhere with this. Just hold on to your seats. Um, I know that you signed up for this elective hoping that when you got here that I would read a report from a government agency. Like I know like when you woke up this morning you were like, please let him read a government produced document uh, in our elective. And so your dreams have come true. Um, I'm going to read from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission because doesn't that sound like fun? Um, so, in, so they released a report and you can go read the whole report and it's long, okay? Um, on firework-related deaths in 2018. Alright? So I'm going to read you a description of the five deaths that occurred due to fireworks in 2018. 
here's the point. States. United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. U.S. Yeah, it's the U.S. Consumer Product Safety. We don't care about anybody else's product safety, okay? Everybody, all the foreign people can just blow themselves up with fireworks. We don't want to talk about them, okay? Talk about selfishness, right? I mean, come on. So here we go. Think about the theme here. Using something in a way it was not intended to be used. And what did it lead to? That's, that's, that's the overarching theme here as I read this. 16-year-old male from Florida died after a mortar tube exploded in his hand on July 5th, 2018. According to the police report, the victim's cousin lit the charge of a mortar, placed it in the tube, backed away. The victim then picked up the tube, held it in his hand. As the cousin went to tell the victim to put the tube down, the tube exploded in the victim's hand and knocked the victim down. The victim suffered a penetrating open wound approximately two inches in diameter to the upper left chest as well as flash burns on his face, neck, and chest. In addition, the victim's left thumb was only attached to his hand by skin. The victim... But this is verbatim on that, just right out of their report, okay? Like, I'm not trying to make it worse. The victim was transported to a hospital via an ambulance and he was pronounced deceased in the emergency room. July the 7th, an 18-year-old male from Iowa was setting off fireworks. Anybody from Iowa in here? Okay, I hope this is not like... From this guy? Waverly? I don't know. All right, this is not like... Are you going to get emotional if I read this? Okay. He starts crying. We know. We know what happened. Okay. He was setting off fireworks at his friend at his friend's residence, according to the sheriff's report. Now you're you're gonna laugh during this, but just remember, like somebody died. Okay. Um, but when you read it, you're like, you think, man, th- these people were so dumb. But I. But don't be so quick to cast judgment. Okay. The friend. Oh, sorry. So an adult. An adult friend. An adult friend. Okay. First we're talking about an 18-year-old. An adult friend decided to tape a tube to a football helmet using duct tape. I think maybe I'll move to Iowa. (laughs) This friend then placed the helmet on his head, launched several fireworks from the helmet, and did not experience any incidents while doing so. So the victim also wanted to launch fireworks from his head, so he taped a tube to a second helmet. Again, reading verbatim from this report. The victim placed the helmet on his head, loaded the tube, launched one mortar shell from the tube while it was atop his head. The victim loaded the second mortar in the tube and ignited it, but the shell became stuck in the tube, didn't launch. The mortar exploded in the tube atop the victim's head a few seconds later and then caused the victim to fall to the ground. Bystanders provided first aid to the victim until first responders arrived. The victim was taken to a local hospital, later transported to a medical center where he died the next day due to injuries. A 37-year-old male from Indiana died of massive head trauma caused by professional grade class 1.3G, no idea what that means, mortar shells on July 7th, 2018. Apparently it's not good because at the end of this one it says the police confiscated all their fireworks. So apparently these are not legal fireworks. According to the police report, the victim and another man were at the end of a residential driveway together. They put three-inch mortar shells with altered fuses into yellow PVC pipe tied the wicks together attempting to light them off at the same time. The original electronic fuse for the mortar shells was replaced with a length of cannon fuse and attached to the shells with blue painter tape. 
the victim stood directly over the tube and lit the fuse. The mortar ignited, struck the victim on the head, causing a fatal injury. The other male suffered serious injury to the head and was hospitaled as well. And then the last sentence, the law enforcement confiscated all fireworks. All right, we're just now on number four out of five. Aren't you glad you came to this elective? On the night of July the 4th, a 24-year-old male... Is anybody noticing the pattern here? This age male, that age male... This age male whose adult male friend came, right? <laughs> Ladies, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. On the night of July 4th, a 24-year-old male from South Carolina was fatally injured by a reloadable artillery firework at the common area of an apartment complex. According to the witnesses and police report, the victim put a mortar shell into a launching tube and lit the fuse. Then he held the tube in his right hand and pointed it towards the far end of the common area. Firework exploded in the tube. The victim fell to the ground. Bystanders called the county dispatch. The emergency first responders were dispatched to the location. The first responders provided life-saving measures to the victim. The victim was transported to a local emergency room where he was pronounced deceased later. Cause of death was determined to be blunt force injury of the chest. Last one. On New Year's Eve of 2018, a 49-year-old male should be also considered an adult in Texas died of explosive injuries while shooting fireworks. The incident occurred at the victim's home. It was reported that the victim apparently launched artillery shells from a device on his shoulder. When the victim lit the firework device, there was a blast that caused injuries to the victim's shoulder and chest. The victim was transported to a local hospital but died en route. The cause of death was explosive injuries including fractures of multiple ribs, laceration of the right lung and chest. The incident is still under further investigation. I don't know what that means. Um, and no other information could be released. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever purchased fireworks, but they don't just say like, warning, be careful. I mean, it's like a book on the side of the fireworks. It's like, this is what you have to do if you don't want to die. Like, put it here, light it this way, run far away. You know, wear eye protection, full body armor, get behind, you know, a closed door. I mean, like they go through all this stuff trying to tell you like, this is how you have to use this to be safe. And then we, I read another statistic that said like all, like 90% of fireworks injuries could have been prevented if the fireworks had been used properly. Okay? Now, we read those and again, like, Real people are affected and real people died. Okay? And we look at that and we're like, okay, you were taping them to a helmet that you put on your head. You were shooting them off your shoulder and you think, how dumb. They died physically. Okay? They, they thought it was better to do it this way and it led to their death. God says, you were made to glorify me and to live selflessly. And yet we say, I think it would be better if I did it this way. And the bad news is, it leads not only to physical death, but death, the second death, as Paul refers to it, in hell. And now nobody's laughing, right? Because it's serious. Like it's extremely serious to to live in the way that God intended. There are extreme consequences to live outside those bounds that God gives us. And you look at that and, and you say, 
what dummy is going to pick up a mortar and hold it in his hand? And yet, we build our lives to feed our selfishness and we never think about the consequences. And here's what Proverbs says. There's a way that seems right to man. It seemed right to tape that mortar to my helmet. It seemed right to pick up that tube. But its end is the way of death. And it's no different. It's more dangerous with selfishness. Because in one sense, that mortar, those fireworks, killed those people physically. Selfishness will not only kill you physically, it will kill your soul. It is a very serious sin. I mean, all sins are serious, okay? But selfish is just pervasive. It's everywhere, all right? And that's what I want us to see today. So let me start with a few biblical examples here. Let's talk about Judas. Now, the Scriptures are not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read the Scriptures. You can turn there, whatever you want to do. No pressure. I'm going to read them, though. All right, John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and I don't know what nard is, but it's just a fun word to say. Okay, just go around today telling your friends nard. I don't know what. I don't even like. I don't know. And anointed the feet of Jesus. And then it doesn't sound like it would be like something that was expensive, right? Like nard. I mean, I don't know. Diamonds. So that sounds expensive. Nard. Not so much. But anyways, I digress. Okay. And she anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped His feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, says John, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. I'm going to flip over to Matthew 26. One of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you, him being Jesus? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And then in Matthew 27, it says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What's that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Judas is all about selfishness, right? He's motivated by selfishness. Everything he does is about selfishness. It's perfect timing. It's like at the climax of my talk. Perfect time to get... Load up the coolers. Alright. So he's, he's motivated by selfishness. I mean, even... John says even his good is bad, right? I mean, let's just think about this for a second. Mary is, is giving all that she had to worship Jesus. And Judas says, Mary, why, why is she wasting this ointment? When we could have sold that money, I mean, sold that perfume and put the money in the money bag. 
why are we wasting our time worshiping Jesus when I could I could be doing something for my own selfish gain? Now it's starting to sound a little more personal, right? John said he he wasn't really caring about the poor. He was masking his selfishness with with uh, good theology. All right. All he wants is more money in the money bag, so there's more money for him to take out and put in his own pocket. He even betrays Jesus. You want to really know what selfishness is? Selfishness is turning your back on Jesus for your own gain. That's what Judas was doing. Really what he wanted, he wanted he so cared so much about his own self that he was willing to turn his back on Christ in order to exalt himself in order to fatten his wallet. And it seemed really good to him. But the end was death, right? Look at all this money I'm getting. Look at all this fame I'm getting. Look at all this this position I'm earning with these people. If I'm going to rat out Jesus, not only am I getting money, but they're going to say, man, we appreciate what you've done for us, Judas. Obviously they didn't. He realizes what he's done, but it's too late. It leads to his death. Selfishness is all about personal gain. For Judas, it was money. For me, it was the recognition. For others, it might be power, independence. But whatever the purpose is for your selfishness, in other words, whatever you think the goal is of your selfishness, it all leads to death. Right? There's another group in the Bible. Judas is motivated by money. The Pharisees, though, are motivated by position and popularity and fame. Alright, and as I look at this group, I'm assuming that most of you are in church a fair amount. Or you've been around church. And you look at Judas and you think, that is pure evil, pure rebellion. I would never do that. I would never sell Jesus out for money. And then honestly, when I, when I think about us... I don't feel like that's the temptation, right? That we really would turn our back on Jesus for money. This is the group that scares me about us. These are good, catechized church people. Knew the Bible, came to RYM, volunteered at VBS. I mean, that's who these people would have been. Okay? Okay, you know they really didn't go to our way. I'm not, that was just... I'm trying to make a point. Okay, just making sure. And these aren't really them, okay? They, the cameras were not that good in Jesus' day. This is just a made-up picture. All right. But again, their selfishness is, is just as demonic. It's just as evil. And really, honestly, if you look at the way Jesus responded to them... It's like their selfishness was even more evil than Judas. Like, in all the interactions with Judas, like you don't see Jesus really just rake him over the coals, right? It was almost like his heart was broken that a guy he had poured into was deserting him. With these jokers, he's just on their case all the time. Alright? Okay, that should make you kind of sit up in your seat a little bit more, ears perk up, pay a little bit better attention because... When he's talking to these folks, he's talking to us. He's talking to church people, leaders in the church, okay? And so my fear is that I will end up like these people and that you, good church people, will end up like these people if we are not careful. 
if we're not willing to deal with the sin in our own hearts. Okay, So let me give you a few examples. Matthew 6. And again, I'm going to read it. It's not on the screen because the text would be so small it wouldn't help anyways. Alright, Matthew 6, verses 5-8. through 8. And when you pray, says Jesus, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they've received their reward. So what Jesus is saying is, you want fame, you want yourself to be at the center of the universe, fine, that's what you get. But you know what you don't get? You don't get eternal life. You don't get heaven. You don't get to be a co-heir with Christ. You don't get to see the glory of the new heaven and new earth. In other words, if that's what you want, that's what you get. That'll be your reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that uh, what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, and He launches into the Lord's Prayer. So don't do these church things to be seen. If your motivation for coming here is so that your mom and your grandmom will think you're a good little boy or girl, Jesus says, well, that's going to be your reward if that's all this is about. Is grandma saying, you're such a good little boy? You know. If that's what you're after, that's what you get. And that's all you get. Right? Matthew 23, here's the chapter where we love it because we're like, yeah, get them. And the problem is, that's us. All right? you, don't, you don't want Jesus to get them. All right? Listen to this. So Jesus says to the crowds and to His disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. In other words, when they're teaching you about Moses, when they're teaching you the law, they're reading the Bible, do those things. That's good. Listen to what He says next. But not the works they do. In other words, observe Moses' law, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. All their deeds. Now think about what they do. They minister. They read the Bible. They study. They pray. They teach in the synagogues. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. This is like my list. This is my testimony. Okay? But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, you are all brothers. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, church kids at RYM, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You want to be seen? Fine. You want a wide phylactery? Whatever the heck that is? Fine. Okay? And I, I mean, it's something. Okay? People know theologians, alright? I don't, but somebody does. Um, but the whole point was, we want to draw attention to ourselves. And Jesus says, they get it. But you know what they don't get? He says, they get shut out of the kingdom. They get shut out of heaven. Alright, so I don't, 
I just want to make sure that you are grasping the gravity of the sin of selfishness. And just sin in general, okay? It's not like selfishness is the number one sin. Although I might can make an argument for that, okay? But it's just it's just rooted in every single sinful decision that we make. And so it feels like if we can really get at the root of that, man, it, it just wipes out so many other of our sins. Alright, last one here, Luke 18. A very familiar passage. Maybe all these are familiar. That'd be awesome. You're good catechized kids, right? You knew the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, so that was good. Alright. Luke 18. Jesus says, He also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Because that's how you become righteous, right? Trust in yourself. And not only were they doing this, they treated others with contempt. So here's what Jesus says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank You that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I always like to put myself in the shoes of the tax collector at this point who's like just standing there like trying to mind his own business and is kind of like thinking maybe I'll pray, maybe I won't. And there's some guy out there going, at least I'm not like this guy. You know? Got to make you feel great about yourself. Alright? I fast twice a week, says the Pharisee. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector who's standing far off not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, there's this Pharisee who stands up and he says, God, look at my resume. Look at all that I have accomplished. And God says, that man is not justified. He's condemned. You know who the guy is that... that is justified, who is loved by the Lord, the one who stands up and says, I have no resume. I have no good works to offer. Just like Russ said last night, all I have is my need of you. And Jesus says, that's my people. That's the one that I love. Selfishness is pervasive. Okay, We see it in Judas in greed. We see it in the Pharisees as self-righteousness and, and pride and to be seen. It's pervasive. So if you flip your outline over on the back, there's a chart that I took out of a book called Relationships, a Mess Worth Making. You see up here, that's Timothy Lane and Paul David Tripp. I think it's probably uh, on the book table. It's also a good book, but I think this chart is super helpful for us at this point. They're all Selfishness is just it, it just manifests itself in so many different ways. Like, it's easy to see selfishness like when we see an athlete who like makes a great play and they beat their chest. Like, you're like, I, that is selfishness. Like, I, that's easily identifiable, right? It's just pride. He's all about himself or herself. That's, we see it, okay? Sometimes it's a little more subtle. And it's so normal for us but we don't even recognize it as selfishness. So I want to work through this chart just a little bit because I want to be able to help you uh, see selfishness in, in, in all of its forms, or in some of its forms. Okay, We've talked about self-centeredness. I think that's my testimony. That's obviously a lot of the Pharisees' testimony. But as you look at this chart, and you can go back and look at it a little closer later, 
So it starts by saying, here's what that self-centered person is seeking. This is what they want. Attention and approval. That's me. I mean, this is like textbook. All right. What's the acceptable cost? They'll, they'll sacrifice control and independence, we, whatever it takes to get that attention and approval. Our fear is to be rejected or not be recognized for our, uh, our works, our accomplishments. But here's the, here's the column that, that I want to pay close attention to. Because a lot of times we think selfishness only affects us, which is selfish. How about that? All right? It's a vicious cycle. But it doesn't. Your selfishness not only affects you, it harms everybody around you. Every, every person that you're in contact and relationship with. And so there's this column of what do others experience? What do others experience when I'm self-centered and I'm seeking attention and approval? They feel used. They feel minimized. Sometimes they feel smothered because you just, you just want them to do all your bidding so that you feel popular, recognized. And look at this. This is scary. The tell, tell emotion or action linked back to self-centeredness, anxiousness, neediness. Again, depression, anxiety, panic attacks. All right. So, so it manifests itself. Excuse me, in so many different ways. Self-centered. We talked about. Look at self-rule. This is somebody who's like, I'm right and you're wrong. You can never win an argument with these people. Not that those people exist. Not that my wife thinks I'm one of those people. Okay. But they can't concede that they might possibly be wrong. Like, they just are always right, period. And don't come to me if you think otherwise. That's selfishness, okay? That is self-centered. I have got it all together, okay? Then there's self-sufficiency. I'm fine by myself. I don't need other people. I don't need a bunch of friends. I can do this on my own. Which sounds like strength, right? Strong enough to just handle this. Right? But the problem is, God said it's not good for man to be alone. That God exists in relationship, right? He's always been in relationship. And created in His image, we need relationship. It's in our DNA to be connected to people, it's for our good. So to say, I'm fine by myself, is one, not to recognize your need. It's pride. Again, it's self centeredness. Self-righteousness, very much like the Pharisees. This one scares me. I think one of the hardest jobs being a youth, and if, if you're in here as a youth volunteer, you can shake your head yes or no. But be, being a, a youth pastor among students who are catechized, who show up for church, who go to VBS, who go to Sunday school, they like know all the answers. And it is so difficult to get to the heart with you guys, if that makes sense. Unless you're just really transparent, right? Because you have all the answers. You know how to walk the walk. In other words, you can mask your sin like nobody's business. Because you know what it's supposed to look like. That's what scares me about this self-righteousness. You want, you want everybody to think you're a good Christian. That you're walking with the Lord. And so you, you hide your sin. You mask your sin. You deny your sin. And really, that's, that's just selfishness. One, it's gonna, you're going to harm not only your own soul, but as if you deny your sin for the sake of, I want to look good, I want to I look like the good little Christian, you don't deal with it, you're just, you, you're just infecting the lives of every person that you come in contact with. Does that make sense? 
I mean, it'd be like if you, you know, if you were had the flu, right? And you were like, well, I'm going to church anyways, and I'm going to hug every old person there, okay? And you know what I'm saying, but it, it, that's... And you're like, that's selfless. I'm a good Christian. I, uh, those old people need my hugs, all right? But really, that's selfishness, right? Like, if you don't deal with your own infection, your own sickness, you walk around just spreading it to people. Okay, that's what self-righteousness looks like. There's self-satisfaction. In other words, you're just all about pleasure. Avoid anything that makes me uncomfortable, okay? And it could be pleasure like sex, all right? But really, think about it more in terms of I just want to avoid everything that makes me uncomfortable. So if going over there and talking to that downcast person who's not in my friend group makes me uncomfortable, I just avoid it. Right? Because I just want to feel good. I don't want to, I don't want to feel awkward. I don't want to experience quote-unquote pain. And so you just build this life of just avoiding every, any, any situation that makes me uncomfortable. You're self-taught. That's the last one on the list. These people have opinion about everything. Not, again, that my wife... Uh, I hope she doesn't listen to this. All right? I'll have them edit this part out of the tape. But they're just one of those people that, like, you mention something and you're like, I did it this way. And they're like, well, you should have done it like this. Like, they just always got the answers. And that's so... These people are like, you can't teach them anything. You can't coach them if you're a coach and they're an athlete because they just know they know what to do. They've always known what to do. And, and that's so selfish to not admit that, hey, maybe I need a little help. Maybe my way is not exactly the best way. All right, so, so again, we see this pervasiveness of selfishness. All right, one more thing I want us to look at because this one's kind of... This one's tricky. All right, I'm kind of going to stretch you a little bit. stretches me a little bit to think about it. We talked about pride earlier being selfish, right? And it's easy to spot. Like the person who's up like, you know, yelling at the street corner, I'm great. Like you're like, what an idiot. Like you, you recognize that, okay? But pride can look totally the opposite. Here's what John Piper says. Pride is difficult to define because it manifests because its manifestations are subtle, often don't look like arrogance. We can see this if we compare boasting and self-pity as two forms of pride. Boasting is the response of pride to success. The athlete who beats his chest. The guy who's on the corner yelling about how great he is. Self-pity, though, is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. Self-pity says, well, I deserve admiration because I've sacrificed so much. It's playing that martyr card. It's waving that martyr flag. Look at, look at all I've given up to make these people great or make this organization better. And then if that's not recognized, it, it, they're crushed. Does that make sense? And they're self-pity. Woe is me. Look at all the stuff I gave up and nobody noticed. Well, that, that looks like selflessness, right, to some degree. But at the root of that is really that same selfishness that's in Judas, that's in the Pharisee, that's in all those other sins we talked about. Piper goes on to say, Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Boasting sounds self-sufficient. Self-pity sounds self-sacrificing. 
The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego, which, uh, by the way, uh, Tim Keller will talk about in the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness booklet. Check it out. And the desire is not really for others to see them as helpless, but as heroes. The need that self-pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness. It's not humility that's driving their self-pity, but a sense of unrecognized worthiness. Do you see? Are you following me? Okay, because selfishness manifests itself from, from the top as beating my chest, I'm prideful, look at me, the world needs to revolve around me, down to the person who's self-pity, uh, being, practicing self-pity because they have, uh, they've, they've given, they've been selfless, but when it's not recognized, when it's unapplauded pride as uh, John Piper says. Want to be recognized. All of them are deadly. All of them are ugly. All of them leads to you being self-absorbed and not fulfilling your purpose of living for God's glory and living selflessless for the good of others. Alright, last thing here. We'll end with this. This is what James says. And listen, listen to how he describes selfish ambition. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now he's speaking to the church here, by the way. This is not the wisdom that comes... Now, this, this is where it gets serious. Listen to this. He's saying, jealousy and selfless ambition is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven above, but uh, jealousy and selfish ambition is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So listen, here's what he's ultimately saying about selfish ambition in these verses. Selfish ambition is boastful. It's false to the truth. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It creates disorder. It's a vile practice. It creates vile practices. It's impure. It's unpeaceable. It's harsh. It's not open to reason. It's not merciful. It produces bad fruit. It's bigoted. And it's insincere. Man. Seems like it needs to be dealt with. Alright? So James, this is at the bottom of your outline, although the tree just faded away when I made the copies. All right, Just trust me, it's there. Now people are holding it up. They're like, it is there. Um, okay, so at the root of this, this tree is selfishness. That is what produces all this fruit that James is talking about. He says, look, there's a lack of peace. I talked about that yesterday a little bit, the lack of inner peace. When I was trying to hold all things together and I couldn't, and it, and it was creating in me anxiousness and depression and panic. But it also creates outward, uh, an outward lack of peace, right? Because, I mean, if, look, if, if some person's really arrogant and like you, like you don't, that's it. 
There they went. That, they've had enough. All right, I'm just kidding. Because um, I can't take one more minute of this guy talking. All right. But listen, if somebody's really arrogant, that's typically not the person you're like, you know what, I love spending time with that person. Like, his arrogance is such a blessing in my life. It's such an encouragement. Right? Typically, when somebody's real arrogant and prideful and selfish, like, it creates conflict between you and that person, right? You don't want to be around them. You don't like them. I don't want to speak nicely to them. I want them to be the non-neighbor. Alright? So, so there's a lack of peace that's created by selfishness, both inward and outward. But the other thing that it does is it, it causes pride. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Here's one that I think we, I really want to kind of look at. Racism and sexism. Because here's what... At the root of both of these sins is selfishness. What you're saying as, as somebody who is, is a racist or a sexist, is you're saying, I'm better than that person or that group of people because of my skin color, or I'm better than that group of people because of my sex. So even at the, at the heart of, of some of these things that are pervasive in our culture is this selfishness. In other words, I don't... And, and, and look, if that's, if that's the case, what it leads to is you're unmerciful. In other words, if, if I am better than that person, it's above me to go to that person to extend mercy to that person, it impedes evangelism, right? Because if I hate these people, I don't like these people, I'm better than these people, it's real hard to love them enough to go and open your mouth and speak Jesus to them. And if you hate them, even when you speak Jesus to them, it's really not going to be very effective. It's like, let me throw this rock at you, and then after that, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Like, that was super helpful. Alright? It also leads to impurity... You know, sex was God has boundaries for that, and you're saying, "Heck with those boundaries! I want what I want. I'm going after what I'm going after. It's my body." Not only does it affect you, it affects those people who are involved in that sin with you. Can we agree that selfishness is gross? It's deadly. God hates it. It's pervasive. If you don't deal with it, it's going to kill you, literally. And spiritually? Is that fair? You feel the weightiness of it? Well, let me leave you with this story and we'll get out of here. In Europe in 1348, the bubonic plague, Black Death, is just rolling through Europe. Estimations are 30 to 40% of all Europeans died during that time. Okay, that's 30 to 40% of a continent who passed away due to this disease. It spread like wildfire. It was unmerciful. If you got it, hours, sometimes days, sometimes, but that was about it. When a family member got it, a lot of times the family members would pack up and leave their home and just leave that family member to die. Okay? And that's not even... I don't even want to address that part of the selfishness. Okay? And we look, we're not there. I don't know. I might pack up my family and leave. I don't know. The plague breaks out. Right. But they left. And so what ends up happening is the, the priests of Europe end up coming in to care for these dying people so that they don't have to die alone. But the sad thing was many of those priests refused to go in and help. And the priests that went in to help to care for these people so they didn't have to die alone 
most likely were dead in a few days. And so it was said at that time that the best priests in Europe died during the plague and the worst priests lived. But let me tell you, I I think that's totally the opposite. The best priests, those filled with the Spirit who knew and walked with the Lord, and they might have died physically, but they really lived, right? Because they were fulfilling what God called them to do. And Jesus says that's life, and that's life abundantly. It's to glorify your Savior and give selflessly for the good of others. The question is, what in the world made the difference in those two groups of priests? Right? Same training, same, in a sense, theology. Uh, at, At least they're confessing to serving the same God. And one group said, I'm willing to die for that person's comfort. And one group said, I'm willing to live for my own comfort. How is that possible? Well, that's tomorrow's talk. Okay? So you've got to come back. Sound good? Let me pray. God, thank You for Your Word that helps expose the sin in our heart. Thank You for conviction of the Holy Spirit so that our sin can be seen, can be confessed, dealt with. Thank You for the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who sands off our rough edges to make us look more like Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would You keep on working on us? Selfishness is in all of our hearts. Sometimes it's at the surface, it's easily seen. Sometimes it's buried under a multitude of sins. And so, Father, I just ask that You would expose this sin and that we would immediately deal with it. Holy Spirit, continue to work and teach us. In Christ's name, Amen. Thank you, guys.